Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Lauren Knausenberger, the Chief Transformation Officer for the U.S. Air Force. Lauren, welcome to the program. Good morning, Jason. Great to be here with you. So you're a CTO, but not the typical CTO, Chief Technology Officer. You you focus on transformation, and you work in the CIO's office. Uh, you know, Deputy CIO of the Air Force, Bill Marion, actually suggested that we talk. So I'm excited because there's a ton going on, and the Air Force, I think, in, in many ways, is out in front of a lot of what is uh, going on across the the DoD. So let me just start maybe at the beginning. Uh, what is a ch- chief transformation officer? How did you come into that role? Because I think previously you had a cybersecurity role of sorts as well. That's correct. I came into the Air Force, if you can believe it, completely by accident. A young Air Force captain had heard a speech and uh, was inspired by the uh, the former CIO, General Bill Bender, uh, who is who has since retired. But he heard the call for innovation and transformation within the Air Force and was looking at partnering with more non-traditional companies and just gave me a call. I was an entrepreneur at the time and just said, hey, can we talk about some of these problems? And uh, we we had a beer and literally uh, just throughout the course of the conversation, I had a bar napkin and had sketched out what would become the innovation framework for the Air Force. So we talked about things uh, like a future concept for what could look like uh, AFWorks is today, about things like a shark tank concept, about reimagining the way that we do infrastructure within the DOD and adopting modern technologies and overhauling acquisition and cybersecurity and all of these things. And, you know, so this was, this was quite a bar napkin. Um, but uh, he, he asked if there was any way that I could package this for a meeting on Monday. And it was funny that that meeting on Monday was with General Kreider, who was the first uh, chief data officer. And uh, she, she's now over at uh, Space Command. Um, but she just said, hey, this is really interesting material, introduced me to General Holmes, who is now the uh, the, the four-star in charge of Air Combat Command, and then General Bender, who who had started the, uh, you know, the whole thing, and started working with the Air Force on this innovation framework concept and got more and more excited about it and uh, found myself actually as an outsider really starting to sell this vision. And then one day got a call, and, uh, you know, I like to say I was tackled by a few Air Force generals who, who asked, is there any way that you would consider coming out of the entrepreneurial and investment sector and just bringing that thinking to the Department of Defense? And, of course, at first I said, you know, heck no. But uh, at the end of the day, um, first I was so incredibly honored to have a, a number of generals who um, I had grown to greatly respect who had sacrificed so much for their country, looking to me and, you know, the vision and passion and just saying, is there any way that, you know, that we can partner with you on this? And so uh, after some working, I, you know, I decided, yes, all in. I almost felt like I'd be a complete hypocrite if I didn't take a chance to try to help some of these problems that, frankly, had bothered me for a number of years. Um, You know, just all of the things that the average citizen reads in the news about um, just the, you know, the speed of tech adoption, acquisition process, all of those things that, you know, bother a lot of folks that have been around the defense industry. It was a chance to do this with the backing of a lot of folks who really wanted to make it happen. So that's how I ended up in the Air Force. And yes, my first role was Director of Cyberspace Innovation. And under that umbrella was looking at a lot of problems that remain in my portfolio today under the broader transformation umbrella. 
And uh, one of those, you know, when I looked at the biggest barriers to innovation across the Air Force, the cybersecurity accreditation process just jumped out as a, you know, just a sore point for everyone. And it was actually incredibly easy to get buy-in and support to start shaking things up there because everyone had so much pain there. And so um, really we were looking at just kind of changing the litmus test. How can I demand perfection on new systems that are inherently more secure, that have greater transparency, that use more modern technologies, and say, well, I'm not going to deploy this until it's perfect, even though I know full well that the current system is owned, Swiss cheese, day zero vulnerabilities left and right. You know, So changing the common sense paradigm and, and really the way that we calculate risk from, oh my goodness, something could happen if we do something new, to, hey guys, we have a measurable, humongous risk for doing nothing. What is the risk of doing nothing here? That needs to be a huge part of our calculus. So if we want to be really simple, um, that change in risk calculation is one of the things that I've been looking at um, over the past couple of years. But more specifically, getting into things like fast-track ATO and the continuous ATO model to shake up the RMF process specifically to a speed to speed adoption of modern technologies that, again, are inherently more secure and replacing systems that we know are vulnerable. And so if we look at a couple of examples of that, you know, fast track ATO, if you if you compare, you know, the traditional RMF process, you know, you're going through a number of controls. Oftentimes the process is having someone who is very skilled in compliance look through system security plans, you know, speak with some folks on the team and go through a checklist. Yep, the system security plan says you do this. All right, check the box. All right, you missed, you know, 100 controls. We'll POAM those over the next three years. Here you go. Here's your ATO. And, you know, I've compared that model against the new model, which is do your basic cyber hygiene and then test it. Use pen testing or a broader adversarial assessment to prioritize what you need to do. Actually fix the problem and then shift to continuous monitoring, much more robust, transparent uh, continuous monitoring than we have in the past. And this way has been faster. We've actually fixed things. People just like it more because they feel that they're doing something that adds value. And then continuous ATO, if we add if we add that piece, it's really for the DevSecOps community. So if we want to really simplify it, you know, let's say that it's like a fast track ATO, but we've added a culture and process audit to it so that instead of doing an ATO on each product that a team produces, we're doing an ATO on the factory that produces the product. Much like uh, much like the FDA inspection process, you wouldn't want to inspect every piece of meat. You could never do that if you want to scale, but you can inspect the factory and say, you're using safe practices, you're using safe equipment, you're handling things the way that you should. And so I believe in a repeatable manner that the way that you do things today and that the team that you have in place that will continue doing this to Tomorrow, that they can do this secure, securely, they have the right engineering talent in place, and so you can continue to produce new software products and deploy those without having to do a separate gated multi-month process for each. So in some ways, it, it empowers the engineers and the local cybersecurity talent more. It makes the cybersecurity folks a 
true partner at the table throughout, not because they're there for compliance, but because the folks that are assessing things now are legitimate hackers, um, you know, security researchers, engineers that are adding value throughout the process from project inception, actually in some cases helping with the engineering upfront, certainly doing cyber tabletops in the design phase, and then they're hacking the system continuously through increments so that by the time the system's done, it's either already ready for signature for accreditation or we're talking a few weeks of collaborative testing to get it done. So that's really a lot of the key parts in the the cyberspace portion of this. And if you go on to the broader transformation arena, I think, honestly, just the Air Force even having a chief transformation officer really shows how much the Air Force is focused on really finally getting to the point where we are speeding adoption of emerging technologies at a much faster rate that we're investing in our workforce, that we truly want to become the digital Air Force that we've been talking about for a long time. And so the other areas that I would that I would pull in in my portfolio there are we have initiatives that we're doing to perpetuate the, you know, the innovation culture and process uh, through communities of practice and, and programs like Spark Tank, for instance, where, you know, we're showing people what great ideas people have and we're showing how people can get those ideas through the various mechanisms where they've historically had so many people telling them no throughout the way and give them new effective, more effective ways to get to yes and to get smaller amounts of funding. So, you know, a lot of incorporation of venture-like activities within the Air Force, venture not meaning taking equity stake in things, but more taking, making smaller bets and accepting that some of those are going to flop and some of those are going to pay dividends and allowing people to kind of go through and try things knowing that maybe we do need to be more aggressive and try things sometimes. And, you know, the more wild an idea, the more likely it is to fail. But, you know, if you don't try, then you're not going to find out. Um, so trying to change that that culture, um, really overhauling the way that we do IT in general, and, of course, upskilling our our workforce. And, and I can chat with you a little bit more about that later in the program, but Digital U is, is a really exciting effort that we're working right now toward that. All right. There's a ton to unpack there. So let's rewind it for a second. The title Chief Transformation Officer holds a lot of hope and also a lot of expectation around it. Uh, are you the first? Did you think you're the first CTO in that regard in, in across all of DOD or are there others in, in your uh, world? I am not aware of another Chief Transformation Officer in the Department of Defense. I think that, you know, you have folks that have transformation in their title at the more at the more junior levels looking at a particular program, but I don't believe we have another person who is integrating all of the many pieces of transformation across their organization within the Department of Defense. So that is that is definitely notable. I'd say that this type of role exists much more often in the, the high end consulting space, uh, the McKinsey and, and BCGs of the world where they're going in and they're looking at a particular organization and helping that organization to go through a major transformation. And that's really more where that type of role um, is, is more common. Because you sit in the CIO's office or you sit outside the CIO's office, where are you in within the Air Force organization? So I do sit within the CIO organization, but pretty much since day one, have been embraced as a citizen of the Air Force. And so the Chief Information Officer, uh, Bill Marion, has been very open from the beginning that 
we're not just trying to transform IT, that even though, uh, you know, his organization pays for my organization, that I am a cross Air Force office. And so I actually work very closely with Dr. Roper, our head of acquisition, and now the uh, the newly uh, created chief software office, um, which, and that's been an incredible partnership because DevSecOps has been a huge focus area for me for the last two years. And now I have a wonderful senior level, also technically savvy partner in crime to help focus in on some of those efforts also have a chief experience officer now to help focus in on those efforts and a, and a chief architect. So there are starting to be more people that are like me at the senior levels to partner with. But yes, I mean, my, my key partnerships, again, head of acquisition, also the vice chief of staff, General Wilson, has been a huge ally. We've done a number of um, engagements and projects together and uh, work very closely together on innovation initiatives within the Air Force. The Strategic Studies Group under the chief of staff of the Air Force has been a huge partner AFWorks. Um, I'm the director of Spark Tank for AFWorks and um, a key advisor to that organization. And then, of course, worked in the early stages of, of um, envisioning that organization. And then finally, on the uh, the chief management office side, have partnered very closely with those guys as well to make sure that the business systems discussion is is part of this whole transformation effort. We have to take a break. My guest today is Lauren Knassenberger, the chief transformation officer at the U.S. Air Force. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Lauren Knausenberger, the Chief Transformation Officer at the U.S. Air Force of the Fast Track ATO, because that is more of a culture change than anything else. Walk me through that process a little bit. I, I know there's a memo out there, and the, the memo kind of describes how the, the Fast Track ATO process can work now. This, that was a big success for you guys in, in every way. So it really, it really was. And, and I want to comment on one thing that you just said that was so incredibly true, um, but historically... Um, really across the DOD, but especially in the Air Force, we have been amazing at working in silos. And every group is smarter than the next group. Every group has to create their own thing. And in the past, there hasn't been a true IT enterprise that has been able to meet the needs of everyone. And so naturally, shadow IT has been alive and well. People are you know, standing at programs left and right when the enterprise can't meet their needs. And so I'm really excited that we are finally able to meet the needs of the airmen uh, much more fully. And I'll say even over the next six months, you know, we're going to see some game-changing um, transformation there. Um, but that is why, you know, the the shadow IT, I guess, cadre has been so large. And so even more exciting to pull that in. But a lot of that does come down to policy. As you mentioned, people don't want to run afoul of anything um, and cybersecurity accreditation. If I could just accredit new commercial tools that meet my needs immediately, I don't have to build tools that A, aren't going to be quite as good and B, are going to create cybersecurity risk. And so that is one of the key purposes of things like fast track ATO and continuous ATO and, and some of the pilots that we're doing in the COTS and SAS arena. Um, but getting back to your direct question on fast track ATO, the premise is, is this. Number one, we want you to hit the basic cybersecurity hygiene items as, as outlined in the cybersecurity framework. And that gives you leeway to hit those in a couple ways. For people that don't have a better way to do it, there are controls that they can address if they want to. 
my teams and I very much prefer an engineering conversation. If you need to address how you do ICAM, I don't want you to walk through the controls for ICAM. I want you to tell me how you're doing ICAM. How are you ensuring that you're putting in place just things like least privilege that in general, how are you making sure that only the people that are authorized to see this particular data are seeing this data? And um, how do you do that in a continuous manner? Um, what's your continuous monitoring strategy? How are you doing multi-factor authentication? So we're basically hitting those things. We're having an intelligent discussion about how you're doing it. We're avoiding things like, hey, that control that was written a year or two by NIST, we have something much better that we're implementing now. We just stick to this is how this should be engineered. Let's go forth and try it. And so um, really start with sound engineering, with um, cyber hygiene, things that are very well known, and then test it through pen testing and have in place a continuous monitoring strategy that will give us transparency in what's happening in the environment. And uh, so it's it's really just a a three-tiered process that gets us to yes pretty quickly. But I can tell you, too, I have told people several times that there's really no point in pen testing a system if you don't have a strong engineering team that is there to actually fix things. And so that is that is a key entry entry criteria, is are you going to be able to fix things that the, the various um, cyber assessors find? Because, again, the idea here isn't, let's poem things until eternity. It's let's find out where we are most vulnerable and let's actually fix it and then let's move on. And we can do that in less than four weeks. It adds great value. And we can also kind of begin to shift some of our our funding resources from very manually compliance-driven to cyber personnel with engineering and, and software credentials. This fast track ATO process, it's being tested, it's being piloted, or is it can be used by anyone who believes they meet the requirements? So it can be used by anyone who thinks that they meet the requirements. And we've even broadened our discussion on that. If you're a legacy system, you know that you are Swiss cheese. You don't have the resources to fix it, but you're not on the sunset list yet. Rather than sending you through a long checklist and knowing, hey, you're out of compliance on 700 out of 900 controls, but having no way to prioritize that. In those cases, you know, we will say, hey, let's let's do a pen test. We'll fix the things that a high schooler can can hack, and you know, we'll at least kind of give you a, you know, an ongoing not ATO, but I guess certificate of. I, I don't think that we've named this yet because we haven't done a whole lot of things with legacy systems, but just something that keeps you out of a, a certificate of compliance, so to speak, so that you know we know what risk we're accepting. We've taken some steps to get a little bit better. So those we're working on a case-by-case basis, but there has been a memo signed by our CIO, Bill Marion, and our uh, undersecretary, um, Mr. Donovan. So it is official. It is released. The other piece of this, as you mentioned, is not just the fast-track ATO, but also the continuous monitoring process. And you, you said this was a lot for the DevSecOps world. Is If you're not in that DevSecOps world, if you are maybe a newer legacy system, <laughs> meaning that you know, you're not 30 or 40 years old, but you're 10 years old or 12 years old and you think you can apply the continuous monitoring, can you do it? Or is, it, is, this, is the continuous monitoring ATO really just for a certain portion of the Air Force who are doing, you know, ongoing development? 
So let me let me clarify that. So so there are two different concepts here. Um, there's fast track ATO and there's continuous ATO. And fast track ATO does require continuous monitoring as part of fast track ATO. And so we have had four different authorizing officials use the fast track ATO in their boundary. We've used it for rapid cyber, we've used it for physical security, we've used it for some enterprise systems, and of course we've used it within the cyberspace innovation boundary, which which I manage. So all of those require continuous monitoring. It's not actually for the DevSecOps community, it's for any type of system that you're trying to bring online or that you are trying to make more secure through testing. Now, the, the continuous ATO, that is the one that is more relevant to the DevSecOps community because that's a community of people. They are developing new applications at an unprecedented pace within the DoD, and the security establishment just cannot keep up with them. And so it came about because Kessel Run, they had approached me in my role as Director of Cyberspace Innovation, and they said, you know what, we are at the point where we have a robust CI-CD pipeline. We're using SD elements to automate the process of getting security controls into our backlog so that our developers can see exactly what's needed. They can even click on here and see what this requirement really means and why it's important and see how other people have solved it in the past. But every time we deliver, every time we go to deliver software, which we can now do multiple times a day, we have this six-month security gate. How do we get to the point where we can deliver this capability to our warfighter in small chunks where we can start to, for instance, save, I think at this point we're up to half a million dollars a week in fuel from deploying this algorithm. How do we start getting that savings now and not six months from now? Um, so, you know, we, we're starting to track metrics like the cost of delay. Um, you know, if I deploy this today, how much money do I save versus in five years with a pretty bow? And so partnered with Kessel Run to come up with a methodology for how we could do this. And a big part of that was let's have the security folks involved throughout. It needs to be true DevSecOps where the security guys have a voice at the table and that we're using the type of security guys that are going to add value throughout the process too, that they are constantly red teaming you and cyber table topping and that it is you know, an iterative process and a true partnership. And so that's what we put in place there. Um, so the continuous ATO is, it's like the fast track ATO in that you do have to document how you do the most important aspects of cyber hygiene. You do have to provide an architecture for how your system works. And that architecture is used by the hackers to try to um, take over your various systems, break your systems, social engineer you, all of those things. We use those results in lieu of a longer checklist, although we do automate a lot of the, um, the compliance controls as well. But the pen test is much more important in assessing your actual security. And then you do have to have a robust continuous monitoring plan constantly looking at um, your boundary, your data, um, just really your entire environment, your configurations. Um, and then, of course, uh, throughout development, looking, you know, doing um, static and dynamic uh, code analysis, logic and variable testing, fuzzing, um, and really now looking more toward chaos engineering concepts, as well as all of the scans using some of the cloud-native monitoring tools and pulling together all of the data to really keep an ongoing awareness of the threat picture and how that changes. And of course, using a lot of the threat reporting to inform future engineering and cybersecurity systems. But what I would add on top of that and as I as I mentioned, 
a continuous ATO, you're certifying the factory, not each product that comes out. And so that requires a pretty robust culture and process audit. So we're running around, we're cold calling members of the team. Perhaps a hacker goes and works side by side on the team to see if they can actually circumvent the guardrails that are in place for the team and make process suggestions on um, how to protect against um, you know, someone doing something silly within the process and, and either breaking the build or circumventing the pipeline or introducing unnecessary risk. And really, um, some of it is a more subjective culture um, assessment where you know you, you kind of look at this team and see, do they really get it? Have they really embraced security and innovation as part of their core beliefs? Um, you know, are they truly drinking this Kool-Aid, or are they just trying to get an ATO faster and not have to do you know a bunch of stuff? And so, continuous ATO. If you look at who has that in the DoD, it's exactly two teams: it's Kessel Run and it's Space Camp. There's an incredibly high bar. Um, you may have heard me quit before that we will accredit things at the speed of Silicon Valley the day that we build things uh, the way that Silicon Valley does with that level of engineering talent. And those two teams have achieved that. And they're doing incredible things uh, for the department. They are showing that we can truly do agile DevSecOps for air operations, for space operations. Um, and they are partnering with some of the best uh, transformation partners in the business to do it. All right. Well, thanks for the clarification. I realized I probably was getting my, my wording messed up as you went through it. The continuous ATO and the fast track ATO, both really great programs and really something that I think a lot of agencies would be interested in. Uh, and I'm sure you'll be getting a lot of calls now about how you did it and, and how, to, how to move forward with it. Uh, yes. And in, in fact, uh, we have had a lot of other agencies really beating down our doors to partner on this and and have been uh, helping folks and distributing playbooks and um, training authorizing officials to be able to look at a penetration test assessment and kind of read that like they would a compliance assessment. Um, and in fact, actually, that is much more intuitive for, for a normal person to read um, than a list of controls, uh, for sure. And Fast Track ATO, I'd say, is pretty codified and easy to follow. What we're trying to do now is put in place larger pen testing vehicles so that people can just send money and get the service very quickly. That's something that we should have within the next 60 days, and I'm personally very excited about. And then um, also the continuous ATO, uh, we have it right now in a bunch of different documents. We need to get it into one document and really put it out to the community for additional dart throwing. And most of the interest is coming from DOD or civilian agencies, Intel. Give, give me a sense. So you would be surprised. Actually, so Brian Kroger, um, the COO, former COO of Kessel Run and um, – one of the founders, he and I did a, a keynote together at the Pivotal Spring One conference last year. And pretty much everyone that I spoke to at that conference, which this is mostly commercial players, they were so incredibly inspired that we were doing this in the DOD. And I had multiple commercial companies coming up after the keynote to say, oh my God, what you guys have done with continuous ATO is incredible. I need to tell my company CIO, my company CISO, that they need to look at the at the DOD for how to rapidly do cyber accreditation. And that was, you know, incredibly, that was incredibly rewarding for all of us that, you know, we had d done something that a lot of the commercial world um, 
um, had not yet accomplished, and that they were looking at us and actually saying, you know what, if the DOD can do this, so can we. And, uh, you know, in some ways we were laughing, you know, it's a bit of a, of a backhanded compliment, you know, if the DOD can do it, then, then of course we can. But it, it really did provide um, a lot of inspiration for the folks that's there, and it, and it continues to. And we'll continue to partner with some of those folks as well. All right. And don't blame me if your phone starts ringing and your email box gets filled up after our interview as well, because obviously it sounds like a big accomplishment and also something that a lot of other agencies will be interested in. We have to take a break. My guest today is Lauren Knassenberger, the Chief Transformation Officer at the U.S. Air Force. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Lauren Knausenberger, the Chief Transformation Officer at the U.S. Air Force. Lauren, I want to move us over to a different topic, the boat related. Another big push for transformation is this concept of enterprise IT as a service. Give me an update of where we're at with it. I know there's been some contracts awarded through OTAs. I know that you've had some follow-ons now. Give me a progress update. So I'm sure you've heard that the DOD network is is 100% perfect and uh, and modern. But uh, you know, seriously speaking, I mean, this is something that the service chiefs got together about a year ago, and we were talking about you know what are the biggest problems that we really need to solve in DOD. And the first thing out of everyone's mouth was we need to fix our network. We need to have a modern network that truly uh, connects at modern speeds to open architecture that enables the speed of mission and business systems that are appropriate for 2019 and beyond. And um, and, and quite frankly, um, there just hasn't been the type of investment over the past decades in this. You know, IT has been seen as kind of, uh, it's, it's like the water bill, we kind of, you know, pay it and, you know, hope it still works. But moving from a few decades ago to today, you know, I mean, just so much has changed. The speed of change has increased so much. So really, EIT as a service is us acknowledging that it is time to go all in on making sure that the foundational infrastructure that we have is going to serve us well for the coming decades and that Frankensteining the network together in pieces is no longer going to work and that in a lot of ways we just need to blow it up and we need to start over with a modern context. And EIT as a service um, is our big experiment to do that. And we have selected uh, some vendors who are household names who are some of the best uh, globally recognized at what they do. And those folks have really assessed our networks our networks, um, and the way that our base infrastructure um, has been set up. And they are lo- taking a completely holistic approach and have, at this point, designed their proposal for what the future of our network should be. And so over the coming weeks, we have a number of folks that are red teaming those architectures. We're looking at them for, you know, just for engineering effectiveness, for cybersecurity, resilience as well. And so I'm very excited to see how this rolls out to those first few bases. And of course, this experiment will inform how we move forward with the future of our IT infrastructure. All of our work on ITAS is the, the experiment that we're starting now is going to inform the future of how we redesign all of our infrastructure for the Air Force. And we're doing this in close partnership with Army. And then, of course, Navy is, is looking also with great interest at what we're doing. And even more so, 
everyone is now getting how intrinsically tied this is to the future of multi-demand command and control and multi-domain operations. And so we are now talking about those as components of one thing and working uh, together in a much more collaborative, synergistic way than we ever have before. And so all of that is incredibly exciting. And, you know, I often joke this is probably one of the most boring things that we could talk about, but it's it's the boring things that we really have to tackle that truly will be game-changing for the force in the very near term. You mentioned that the uh, vendors you're working with have designed their proposals. I know you can't go into much detail about that, but just generally speaking, anything that surprised you, anything that stood out to you, one of the things about OTAs is it's got to be innovative. It's got to be different. It can't be just be something that's quote-unquote commercial. And I think a lot of people looked at who you guys awarded those OTAs to as going, okay, AT&T, Microsoft, not necessarily companies that are uh, small startups. Are you seeing some of that innovation that you hope to see, I guess, generally speaking? It's funny that you say that. When it comes to IT infrastructure, I actually don't think that we have to, you know, get too crazy and cute with it. I mean, I think that, you know, you look at Microsoft and AT&T and the people that they are partnering with, and also uh, there's a vendor C who um, also qualified for an award, but it hasn't been, um, I guess we ha- it hasn't been codified yet, so it's still just vendor C. But these are best-in-class companies that are incredibly innovative, but you know they have done this before, and they're doing this for the Fortune 500, the Fortune 100. We're a Fortune 2 company, <laughs> you know, when it really comes down to it. So we need people that can be innovative, but can do it at scale, and who have done it a lot of times, and who aren't going to be daunted actually by working with the military and fighting through, quite frankly, a mountain of technical debt to get through it. And a lot of these companies have had to do that before and they've succeeded. So I I think that we really did make the right award. And I think they've also partnered with the right companies to bring in the pieces of innovation, you know, where they do want to lean forward. Um, But the the funny thing is, uh, even though these companies, you know, they are commercial leaders, they've worked with the government before as well, you know, we do have to constantly remind them, no, really, we do want you to push forward. We don't want to be that safe because, you know, if you ask people that have been around the, the government sector for a long time, uh, the government says that we want to be innovative very often, but a lot of times we don't mean it. And so, you know, it's taken some convincing to say, no, we really do mean it. We want you to lean forward. Can you give me a sense or at least how the Air Force is looking at uh, enterprise IT as a service differently than something, you know, we've seen for years and years called managed services? I mean, it really is a commercial as a service model. So rather than paying for a bunch of hardware and software and bodies to manage a network at a point in time where we are then put in the position of, you know, like we have for the last few decades, where quite frankly, every time there's a mission decision to be made, we say, eh, let's not invest in IT. We're basically paying on a subscription basis to say, we are going to use commercial infrastructure. We are going to pay as a service. We are going to receive all of the updates as they happen. We are going to 100% adopt modern architecture. We're going to own very little um, and more use the services and the adaptation of those services. 
And really the whole point is to avoid future Frankensteining of IT. Just as updates come, we'll get the updates. We will connect to commercial infrastructure where we can. We will continue to really, really push uh, the boundaries on encryption and security and all of those things. But the idea is to consistently be modern. There's plenty more to talk about the enterprise IT as a service, but we have to take a break. My guest today is Lauren Knausenberger, the Chief Transformation Officer at the U.S. Air Force. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Lauren Knausenberger, the Chief Transformation Officer at the U.S. Air Force. Let me move us on to a different topic around the Air Force's Cloud One initiative at a you know 50,000 foot level. Talk to me a little bit about why Cloud One is so important for the Air Force and how is it part of this broader transformation uh, discussion? Cloud One has been a really big success for the Air Force. So we have believe that I have heard our CIO say that we are leaning, leading the DOD in cloud adoption in that we have over 600,000 email users in the cloud. As of October 7th, uh, we now have everyone on collaboration tools in the cloud. We have a growing number of legacy apps that have been refactored and moved to the cloud um, in conjunction with our strategy to close some of our legacy data centers and sundown some of our legacy applications. But really, in a nutshell, Cloud One is our strategy for uh, packaging cloud services and all of the security, ICAM, continuous monitoring, and SOC services in one place where people can go and they can just easily request service and spin up an environment. And we don't have to have teams across the Air Force any longer trying to figure out in their stovepipe, hey, how do I stand up uh, an AWS or Azure environment? How do I get it stigged? How do I set up all of the continuous monitoring and all of the security services and ICAM, single sign-on, um, CAC or other MFA? So, you know, we were we were definitely being very inefficient in the way that we were doing it in the past. So we now have this central team that one can go to to request service. And what I'm really excited about is now um, we are working on and well and have started to provide rapid provisioning of DevSecOps environments, you know, for teams that are trying to do that. So so the you know the fallout effect there is you know, we used to award contracts and a contractor would win um, an effort to build an application, for instance. And then they're starting out with, oh, I guess we're going to have to build our own cloud environment. Oh, we're going to have to build our own platform. Oh, okay, now we get to develop something. So now we'll be able to send new awardees to Cloud One to get their cloud environment provisioned and to stand up their DevSecOps environment. And that is incredibly productive for us. It's going to scale much more nicely and we'll we'll save a lot of reinventing of wheels. But then beyond that, Cloud One will become the front end for our future tools catalog as well, where any airman uh, will be able to go and say, hey, you know, I need Tableau, for instance. Let me go to this catalog. Here are all the visualization tools. Click on Tableau. There it is. Now I can use it. What we've had in the past with tools, and I'm sure you're very aware of this, is Oh, gee, I need a visualization tool. 
oh, you know what, I'm probably going to have to accredit it separately. I'm probably going to have to buy it separately. I don't know who else is using it. So we will finally have a centralized catalog of things where we know that we have a BPA, we know that it's accredited, and we have a seamless process to accredit new tools and get those available in the catalog as well. And that is something that we are rapidly working uh, with Cloud One on as well. In many ways, is Cloud One, for lack of a better word, a broker of sorts, meaning it's not just one cloud, but it's access to all clouds that have been accredited for the Air Force to use, and then all tools that probably reside in the cloud. Is, is, that, a, is that a good word? Yeah. No, they, they are a skilled broker, that you know, a skilled value-added broker. But yes, you know, it is a front door to accredited IL-5 clouds that have been invested in and, and requested by Air Force customers. Right now, it's Azure and AWS. We wanted to have at least two as part of our multi-cloud strategy, but we we certainly see the potential for adding more in the future. You know that has that's something that you know we have to go through governance. But but yes, you know I would love to have options. We don't want to have everything probably. You know at some point you know we have to make some decisions and and invest in a couple of different environments. But you know we do want to maintain a you know a competitive atmosphere and some types of applications work better in some clouds. Uh, Lauren, we're almost out of time. This is a fascinating conversation, and there's probably so much more to talk to. When you look forward over the next you know, three, five, six months, uh, you mentioned uh, a couple different priorities, but I also know about the – you mentioned the Air Force Digital University that you're excited about, uh, potentially a mobile pilot with an MDM solution. Can you maybe go over some of the other kind of high-level things you're working on that, that, that's really kind of also on your plate? Not that your plate's not full enough, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So so the BYOED uh, mobile solution is something that has been just anticipated um, and just made people excited for so long and people can barely believe that it's here. Um, but basically, yes, we have an award and an MDM contract. Um, up until this point, only very senior officers actually had the ability to check their work email and access Air Force systems from their own phone. Um, so think about your own work, not having a cell phone where you could actually answer email on the go, having to actually log into your laptop um, probably from your desk on a base to do anything. Um, you know, so it, it really just um, makes it much harder to be productive and mobile. So, um, so now for approved devices, um, people will be able to download an MDM um, and they will be able to do Air Force business from their personal device. Uh, they'll sign a user agreement um, that outlines the terms of service. Um, and uh, it is a containerized solution. So if something were to happen on the Air Force business side, um, the Air Force would take action within the container, but not uh, hit the person's personal data. So that has been huge um, and a big part of our ability to have mobile airmen able to perform their function wherever they need to be. And then Digital University is something that I am incredibly excited about. And so the MVP that we hope to deliver within the next 90 days is incredibly simple on the commercial side. We have always said as a DOD, gee, what are the job skills of the future? We'll do two or three years of analysis. We'll develop our curriculum. By the time we develop our curriculum, it's already outdated. But now there are incredible online uh, platforms that you can buy as a service. And so looking at this and saying, we don't need to do two or three years of analysis to determine the job skills of, of the future and develop our own content. Let's buy it as a service. Let's give our airmen access to it. Let's use this to assess their skills and their aptitude and their interest in gaining new career fields. 
new new skills and actually use this platform to recruit people as well. All right, Lauren, so much there to follow up on, but unfortunately we're out of time. So we'll have to have you come back on and dig into some of those details as, as they continue to evolve. So uh, let me first uh, thank my guest. Lauren Knausenberger is the Chief Transformation Officer at the U.S. Air Force. Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thanks a lot, Jason. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. You're finally at that hot new spot, the one your friends keep raving about. Sitting across from your date, it's going... Another round? Really well. And that dish you've been dying to try, oh, it's headed your way. You can smell it, hear it sizzling fresh off that skillet as it comes closer, closer, and served. Go ahead, enjoy. After your phone sneaks a bite first. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Your story. It lives in River City. Where you can enjoy a metropolitan vibe and a small town feel. Where we set the standard for service and looking out for one another. Where there's so much more than steak in our thriving food scene. Your story is the story of Omaha. Told by those who live it and love it. Whether that's helping you keep up with the Cornhuskers or creating the content you crave. And here in the Omaha World Herald is where it comes to life. Omaha World Herald. Where your story lives.